0: All right, room to move. Here we go. Pastor Brent and family are finishing up their vacation. They actually were uh, leaving from my hometown this morning, which means they have a very, very, very long road ahead of them to get back. But we're praying for their safe travels, and we pray that they just had a wonderful time of just being restored and enjoying nature and getting some family time together. Um, If you're here for the first time this morning, we say welcome. We say it is great to have you here. And we just want you to know that this is a safe place doesn't matter if you've been following Jesus your whole life or if you're questioning if God is really real. This is a place to come to ask questions, to learn about Jesus, and just to make some decisions on your own about what you choose to believe. We hope that you would choose to believe that Jesus is the one Savior, but that is ultimately your choice. Welcome, and we're glad to have you here. So since Ryan officially declared the end of summer for us, thank you, Ryan, we need to shift into the school mode. So students, you might be able to help us out. The adults can get in on this too. I am going to do a little quiz with you guys. I'm going to give you a quote, and it comes from a movie, and I want you to see if you can tell me which movie it is from. Now here's the first one, and I'll be honest, when I did it yesterday, my husband said, you have to do it in the voice. So this is my best attempt. (laughs) Yeah, it'll make sense. Mm, I don't know if I can do it with a straight face now. I'll be back. Help me out. Arnold Schwarzenegger, what movie? Terminator. There we go. All right. This one's more up my alley. You complete me. Jerry Maguire. There's my people. Roads. Where we're going, we don't need roads. Back to the future. Here we go, kids. To infinity and beyond. Toy Story. All right. Kids at heart. I love it. Here's one. This one kind of tripped up my family, even though we've seen it recently. Um, I don't judge a person on the worst they have done. Not great a showman. Good guess, though. There's two characters that are talking and they're fighting. There's a cliff. There's a red person floating nearby. Not Aladdin. Ooh, this is even tougher than first service. Ooh, very popular right now. Just came out on Redbox. Hawkeye. Nat. Who said it? Avengers Endgame. There we go. Here's one. If you know Paul, you know it's his favorite movie. There's a difference between knowing the path and walking the path. Well, this one's tricky. You've got to go back a few years for this one. Uh, Matrix, anybody? You're going to have to pull that one out now. Here's the last one. With great power comes great responsibility. Spider-Man, there we go, owning it. All right, you guys know your movies and your lines. And I picked all of these on purpose. You see, all of these movies have characters that are actually hidden heroes. They're people we wouldn't consider to be a hero, and they actually develop into it for some of them. And we're going to be talking about how if they were a Bible character, it would fit with our series right now. Because we're actually in the middle of a series called Hidden Heroes, and we're not talking about any of the movie characters, actually. We're going to be talking about Ruth, and we're talking about why commitment counts. And Ruth's story comes from us from the book that is titled by her name, Ruth, and it's in the Old Testament. And we're going to be talking about why she's a hidden hero. So Ruth, from the get-go, has some things that would seemingly disqualify her from being a hero. The first being that she's a woman, because in those days, women were considered kind of the least of the least. They didn't have status. They wouldn't have prominence unless they were highly elevated in the community. She's also from a country named Moab, and Moab is a country that is known for serving their many gods, not the one true God. And also, they are under a generational curse because of sin that has happened. Ruth is married to a Jewish man who came over to Moab to escape a famine that was happening in Bethlehem. So she is a non-Jewish woman married to a Jewish man. And lastly, she becomes a widow at a young age after only 10 years of marriage, and she doesn't have any children. Now, that in and of itself seems like quite a few knocks against her for becoming a hero. But to make things even worse, the family that she married into, the mother has already lost her husband, Elimelech. And now her sister-in-law has also lost her husband. So the three women have no men to provide for them. And in this day and age, it was essential to have a man to provide for you, to be able to provide protection for you, and to be able to provide any type of income. So these three women are now at a loss as to what to do. Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, decides that she is going to actually head back to Bethlehem now because she's heard word that there are crops growing and that she can go back there and be within her community since she's lost her husband and her two sons. So she tells her two daughters-in-law, she says, you know what you guys need to do? You need to stay here in Moab. You need to go back to your families because there's going to be a greater chance of you finding a husband or your families can support you. I can do none of that for you. And so her daughter-in-law, Orpah, decides to go back to Moab and to her many gods. But Ruth emphatically denies for some reason. In fact, this is what Ruth actually says. We find it in Ruth chapter 1, starting with verse 16. But Ruth replied, Don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. So Naomi could convince the one daughter in law to go back to her family, but Ruth has declared that she is going to be committed to her mother in law. She's going to go with her until death to do them part. These are really strong declarations. You see, it makes me wonder, why would Ruth choose to stay and Orpah choose to go home? And I think the answer lies in what it is that Ruth actually says to Naomi. When she says, your God will be my God, somewhere along the ten years she's been in this marriage with Naomi's son, she has come to learn who their God is and that she wants to be one of his chosen as well. And so she chooses to give up everything, and she chooses to follow Naomi back to Bethlehem. You see, Ruth understands that commitment is a promise that only has value when it's acted upon. Commitment is a promise that only has value when it's acted upon. If Ruth would have said to Naomi, I am going to go with you and stay with you until death do you part, and then a few miles into the journey said, you know what, this is too hard, I'm going back, I'm done. It would have had no value or significance to Naomi. The value came from her fulfillment. And oftentimes, I think what we do is we use placeholders for verbal commitments. I think what we say is, you know what, I'm going to make this commitment to you, but then we don't follow through on it. Because when we say, I'm going to make this commitment to you, it makes us feel better, and it makes the other person feel better. See if you might recognize any of these verbal placeholders. I promise you, someday we will do that. You know what? We should really go out for coffee and get together. Honey, I just don't have time right now. When there's time, we'll do it. Those are some of my verbal placeholders. Do you guys have any others to add? I'm guessing there's some out there. But the problem comes when I use a verbal placeholder and I don't put any action to that commitment, my children begin to question if they can trust my word. They begin to question if what I'm saying is actually true. Will it ever happen? And they begin to wonder what they can actually believe. You see, the commitment can hurt us, but it can also hurt those around us when we only use verbal placeholders instead of actually acting upon the things we commit to. Ruth acted on her commitment, and she went with Naomi to Bethlehem. And when they get there, they arrive in early spring, which is when the harvest is just coming to fruition. And so what Ruth says is, hey, can I go and glean in the fields so that we can have some food? Because when they get back, the land is still there that was Naomi's and the Limelech's, but they don't have any provisions. So she says, go ahead, and Ruth heads out to the field. Now, the time and the culture of the Jewish tradition was that harvesters could only go through the fields one pass. Whatever there was left on the floor, whatever good crop was missed, others were allowed to come and glean behind them. Others like Ruth, who is considered poor and destitute right now, those that didn't have a way of making their own means. And it was hard work. If you take a look at these pictures, you can imagine a full day of hacking and picking up and carrying, and then needing to thresh out either the barley or the wheat in order to get what you needed for food. That's a lot of work. But yet this is what Ruth said, I need to go do so that we can have food. So she goes into the field, and she finds herself in the field of a wealthy businessman named Boaz. And Boaz is known for being a man of God. In fact, he enters his field, and he greets his workers with, The Lord be with you. Now, I don't know about you, but none of my bosses have ever walked into my workspace and said, the Lord be with you. You know, and I can respond back, and the Lord be with you. That seems kind of strange. But yet, at this time, this is what Boaz does, and his workers respond, and you can see the respect, and you can see that they are treated well. Boaz notices that Ruth is working in his field, and he inquires as to who she is, And his foreman says that she's the Moabite that came back with Naomi. She asked to glean so that she could get some food, and she's been working hard at it all day. So Boaz talks with his foreman and his workers to ensure her safety because she's a young, beautiful woman, and he wants to make sure that she is protected. And he tells them, let her glean, let her pick up whatever. In fact, drop some of the good stuff so that she has more than enough to take home. And he talks to his female workers and says, make sure she works with you so that she knows where to go and what to do. And then he goes and talks with Ruth, and he says, Hey, listen, I need you to make sure you stay in my fields and following my female workers, because then you will be safe. You can get what you need. This is where you need to go. This is how you need to do it. And Ruth is so overwhelmed that she's not sure why this is happening. And this is her response. We see it in Ruth chapter 2, verse 10. Ruth fell at his feet and thanked him warmly. What have I done to deserve such kindness she asked I'm only a foreigner Ruth putting it right out there she's saying I'm not understanding what's going on here she's like I'm a foreigner I'm a gentile I'm not of jewish descent like your community is why are you being so kind and this is boaz's response yes i know boaz replied but i also know about everything you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband I've heard how you left your father and mother and your own land to live here among complete strangers. Boaz attacks her point blank back. He says, I realize you're a foreigner. It doesn't matter to me. He says, What I noticed is how much you have been willing to give up in order to be committed to your mother in law. I see the sacrifice that you did, and it cost you personally. You see, she left her family, she left her land. She left all traditions that were familiar to follow Naomi. And when we think of it, that's kind of what it felt like when I moved from South Dakota to Wisconsin. There were some strange things going on. Cheese curds, bubblers, the Packers. Yeah, but we won't go there. But what we have to realize is that Ruth knew what she was committing to. She made the choice, and she followed her no matter what the cost. And our first takeaway is that every meaningful commitment has an inherent cost. That would be my second takeaway. All right, you guys count on your own. You're good from here on out. Every meaningful commitment has an inherent cost. Ruth had to give up being close to her family. She had to give up what she knew in order to be committed and to follow through on the promise that she had made to her mother-in-law. But more importantly, she's doing this because she made it to God. Somewhere along the line, she found God and realized that that was where her true hope lied. But I love how Boaz actually finished his statement to Ruth. I didn't give you the complete part. Listen to this last line. It comes from Ruth uh, 2.12. He says, May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. In other words, he's saying, Not only have I noticed the things that you've given up, but God knows what you have given up. God knows the sacrifices that you've made. God knows what it has cost you personally, it has costed your family in order for you to fulfill this commitment. Another immediate reward comes through Boaz's invitation to work the entire summer in his field, offering her provisions and protection. It's three months that she gets to gather food and to store it for her and Naomi for their safekeeping. And so when she goes home that first day, she shares all of this with her mother-in-law. And she tells her mother-in-law that she was working in Boaz's field, and Naomi realizes that God's hand is at work because Boaz is actually a kinsman redeemer for the family through her husband, Elimelech. Now, kinsman redeemers are not something that we talk about in today's culture. We don't do this anymore. But it was extremely important in Jewish culture. A kinsman redeemer was a man who would go and help protect the family if the male head of household died. So in Naomi's case, she doesn't have her husband, she doesn't have sons. The kinsman redeemer can come in, and can help purchase the land that belongs to the family so that it stays within the family lineage, and they can also come in and marry any widow that does not have an heir for their family in order to produce an heir. Now, we think that's really weird, and if we were to do that today, I would actually really question you, and we would probably talk counseling, but in Jewish traditions, that was important because the only way for them to continue to have what they needed was through their family lineage. And so, Naomi knows that with Boaz being the kinsman redeemer, he can redeem her and Ruth. And this section of the story can be very intriguing if you read it too quickly. It can often be misunderstood because it's different than today. The kinsman redeemer is strange enough, but in order for Ruth to go to him and say, I'm willing to marry you even though you have not made any propositions to me, she has to follow a procedure that we think is a little strange. Her mother-in-law tells her, this is what you need to do, according to the law, to let him know that you are willing to marry him so that he can be our kinsman-redeemer. After he falls asleep at the threshing floor, in other words, after a hard day's work, and he's eaten, and he's had all he needs to drink, and he lays down to go to sleep, you need to go to him, you need to lay down at his feet, and uncover his feet. Now, if we read this too quickly, it seems like Ruth is going in and being improper, but that is not the case at all. Notice she's lying at his feet. I don't know about you, but none of my dating traditions involved laying at the feet of the man that I loved. It still doesn't to this day, and we've been committed for a long time. But she lays down and she uncovers his feet, so that when he wakes up in the middle of the night, he's trying to figure out who is there. And she says, it is Ruth, your servant, and you are our kinsman redeemer. In other words, she's saying to him, I am willing to marry you if you are willing to marry me. And so Boaz's response is this. It comes from Ruth chapter 3, starting in verse 10. The Lord bless you, my daughter, Boaz exclaimed. You're showing even more family loyalty now than you did before, for you've not gone after a younger man, whether rich or poor. You see, there's an age difference between them, and Boaz, out of respect, has not approached her because he's an older gentleman. He says, now don't worry about a thing, my daughter. I will do what is necessary, for everyone in town knows you are a virtuous woman. But while it's true that I am one of your family redeemers, there's another man who is more closely related to you than I am. Stay here tonight, and in the morning I will talk to him. And if he's willing to redeem you, let him marry you. But if he's not willing, then as surely as the Lord lives, I will redeem you myself. Now lie down here until morning. You see, when we talk about integrity having an inherent cost, Ruth has given up, but Boaz has as well. He's lost some of his bottom line in order to provide for Ruth and Naomi. But at this point now, he's willing to enter in as a kinsman redeemer. That includes purchasing the land and marrying Ruth. But he's only going to do it if he follows the proper procedures. And he tells Ruth this. He says, there's another one closer. I have to take care of this before it can be an option. He's like, I'm more than willing. That would be fantastic. But let me take care of it. So he sends her home with more provisions. And he goes to the city gate the next morning And he finds the closest kinsman redeemer, gets the elders together, and they sit down to have a discussion about this. And he says to the other redeemer, he says, here's what I know. Naomi is back, and somebody needs to redeem her fields and her son's fields. And so you're the closest one. Would you like to do this? And the closest kinsman redeemer says, yes, I'll do that. It would increase his wealth. It would increase his ability to have funds to provide for his family. And Boaz says, by the way, when you, in, when you purchase this land, there is also the widow Ruth, the Moabite, that comes with it. And the closest kinsman redeemer realizes that if there's a widow that comes with it, that means that he is to marry her. And he says, I can't do that. We can't have this deal then. And so what he does is he takes off his sandal and he hands it to Boaz and says, you can kinsman redeem. It is your property. You can marry And if you guys are anything like me, you're going, what did you just say? He took off his sandal and he handed it to him. You see, that was one of the other strange things that we don't carry today. We don't go into a legal transaction and say, the property is yours. Here you go. Take it off. Hand it over. But that was how a legal transaction was handled in Jewish culture during those times. They handed the sandal over. And so that says to Boaz in front of all of the witnesses that the fields are now his to purchase, and he is able to marry Ruth, the widow, the Moabite. Now, if you're anything like me, you're also wondering, did he get his sandal back? <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't say. That's <laughs> one of those I'll talk in my pocket for heaven. So Boaz is is now able to marry Ruth with a clear conscience. He knows that he has done everything appropriately. He's done it with honor, and he's done it with integrity. And they both have done it. And the community begins praying for them that they would conceive a son and that he would be influential. Because remember that Ruth was married for 10 years and did not have a child during those 10 years. So they're not sure if she can or not. Maybe she's barren. So they are praying that she would be able to conceive And you see, what's interesting is Boaz could have gone to Ruth and they could have gotten married without checking with the other kinsman-redeemer first. He could have said, I've already been providing for you and so I'm just going to marry you. We don't need to check with him. He could have said any reason he wanted, but he didn't. Because Boaz knows that commitment to live a life of integrity is worth the effort. And to live a life of integrity, it takes effort. Boaz had to go to the gate. He had to find the kinsman redeemer. He had to find the elders to come and listen to the legal agreement before he would even consider pursuing Ruth for marriage. He does all of this because his integrity, his respect, is worth the effort. You see, recently I had a conversation with my son. Um, I put him into a class to um, give him some solid time of instruction outside of my house. And it's a class that um, when he talks about it, I glaze over. Like, I dutifully ask him, okay, honey, what did you learn in class today? And he starts talking. And it is fantastic. But he's talking Minecraft, and he's talking shift commands, and other people, and servers. And I'm just like, I, you've lost me. I'm gone. But as he's talking, there's something that he had mentioned. And he keeps on going, and it doesn't really phase him. But I was like, ooh, let's, let's pause the train here for a minute. I said, hey, honey, um, while you're doing all of that, what did your teachers ask you to do? Any kind of, you know, half-second pause. Well, Mom, they didn't say I couldn't do it. I said, okay, sweetheart, um, what did your teachers ask you to do? Well, Mom, there were other people. It wasn't just me doing it. I get it, honey. Not about them. What did your teachers ask you to do? Um, Well, they didn't tell me I had to stop. I get it, sweetheart. What did your teachers ask you to do? And there was this enormously long pause. I said, sweetheart, If you have to bend your reasoning to make it okay, it's not okay. You see, he's learning the hard lesson that a little non-truth is actually a complete lie. He said, sweetheart, you cannot bend what you want to do so that you can do it. If your teachers ask you to do something, that is what you need to do. I don't know if any of you are feeling his pain, but while I was talking to him, I was feeling his pain because I was simultaneously thinking about the times that I have bent things to get it my way, that I have not done necessarily what I was asked to do or I should have done, but it was close, but I choose to bend instead of have full integrity with what's asked. And so we had to explain to him, you need to do what's asked. Because that way your teachers can trust you. And so we know Boaz understands integrity. He's made it very clear. And he's made it clear that it's worth the effort. And so because Ruth and Boaz both lived a life of integrity, God provided a son for them. So Ruth now has an heir to continue her family line to inherit the fields when he gets old enough. But it's not just Ruth's child that's, he's not just for Ruth's heir. It's also Naomi's heir. Because Ruth is Naomi's daughter, and so now Naomi has an heir. Her lineage continues as well, since she no longer has her husband. And you see, Naomi had thought that God had abandoned her in Moab. She thought that because her husband had passed, and both of her sons had passed, that God had basically forgotten and abandoned her. And so she was distraught. In fact, she was so distraught that by the time she got back to Bethlehem, she was so bitter that people almost didn't recognize her. But they welcomed her home anyway. So this child now reminds her of how much God actually loves and provides for her, even though it's in ways that she didn't expect. And so she finds joy again. And, you know, this would be a great story if we ended it here. There's a son... They're happy, they're joy. But there's a few more paragraphs that actually magnify the scope of the blessing of this. You see, this baby boy doesn't just bless Naomi and doesn't just bless Ruth. He goes on to fulfill a promise that was made long before. The baby was named Obed, and this was actually done by the neighbor ladies. And I don't know about you, but I did not ask the neighbors to name my children. That's another thing that, no, you take that one on your own. But here is the interesting thing. The community had prayed for this child, and they had prayed for this child to have influence. That is a prayer that we can have for those in our lives, that every child would have influence. See, what comes out of that prayer we see in Ruth chapter 4, verses 21 and 22. Boaz, whose Ruth's husband, the kinsman redeemer, was a father of Obed, Obed grew up, and he became the father of Jesse. And then Jesse was the father of David. This is the same David that is King David that we hear so much about in the Bible. This is the same King David from whom Jesus comes from. That lineage is intact. It goes all the way through. The hope that was promised is going to come through this baby boy. So Boaz is the kinsman redeemer for this one family, and it was worth the cost. Jesus is the kinsman redeemer for everyone. We don't usually think about it like that. We think about it as Jesus just being our Savior. But Jesus is actually our kinsman redeemer. In other words, he says, it is my job to come to provide, to protect, to redeem you. So that you are part of the family, so that the lineage is not lost. We get to be a part of Jesus' lineage when we ask Him into our heart and we choose to follow him. And we know this from John 3:16. says, "For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life." And you need to catch that. Everyone that believes in him. It doesn't matter what we've done. It doesn't matter who we are. Jesus' lineage is both Jewish and Gentile. Everyone. We're all welcome. Romans chapter 9, verses 9 and 10 say, If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord, in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's by believing in your heart that you're made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. See, these words have meaning. They're significant. If we choose to believe, we will be saved. It is worth the effort. It is worth the inherent cost to choose to follow Jesus Christ, to make him our kinsman redeemer. If you think back to the movie quotes that we started with at the beginning, I told you I picked them because of the hidden heroes. I also picked them for an even deeper meaning. Every single one of those quotes, if you listen to them, has a biblical parallel. You can find them in the Bible. Now, it may not be true according to the character that says it, but the truth is the same. I'll be back. I'm pretty sure Jesus does not sound like Arnold Schwarzenegger. I'm pretty sure he's not coming to do whatever it is Terminator does, because honestly, I haven't seen the movie. But I know the line. It has significant meaning, right? I'll be back. Terminator is confident. He's secure. You know there's no messing around with him. You know he means what he says. Jesus means what he says. I'm here for you. I'm here to redeem you. I died for you. And when you choose to believe in me, when I come back, everything will be made new. It's just for us. All of the others you can go through and you can find them. You complete me. Only God can truly complete us. As much as I love that Jerry Maguire line and I'll watch it over and over and oh, the only true fulfillment, the only true completion comes from our faith in Jesus. With great power comes great responsibility. So often we think that when we choose to follow Jesus' ways, that we're limited, that we lose the impact, but nothing could be further from the truth. You see, when we choose to put our trust in Jesus and we choose to follow him, we get God's power in us. He works through us. It's not for us to do on our own. It's for us to trust in him and to say, yes, I'm willing. So these lines connect with us because there's deeper meaning. It's not just a line in a movie. There's truth behind it that connects with our deepest needs. And if you haven't made the commitment to follow Jesus, I'd encourage you to do it today. To not put a verbal placeholder on it and say, someday. Make that commitment today. Because it's worth the cost and it's worth the effort for the blessings that come. When we trust in Jesus, we know that he has the best in store for us. We know that we can trust him and we can lean on him. My desire is for every person to have a personal relationship with Jesus because that is what he is after. You know, the line that connected with me so much was, I don't judge a person based on the worst they have done. And it connects so deeply because I know what I have done. I know ways that I have messed up. I know things that I would go back and change if I had the opportunity. If I could get that replay, that 30-second rewind and do it again, (laughs) It would take a long time to finish. But Jesus says, I don't judge you on the worst you have done. Bring all of your junk. Bring it just as it is and give it to me and I will forgive you. Just as you are right now. It doesn't take a cleanup act. It doesn't take making things better. Just bring it to me now. Having a life of integrity, following through on our verbal commitments, Is not always easy, but it is absolutely worth it when we choose to live a life that follows Jesus. I'm going to pray, and the band's going to come up. And if you haven't asked Jesus into your life, I would ask you to do that right now. It's a simple prayer. Jesus, I want to follow you. I know that I've made mistakes. I know that I have sinned. And what I want to do is ask you to forgive me that I choose to believe in you. That's what it is. It's that simple. And for those of you that have already made that commitment, maybe you need to recommit some area. Maybe you need to figure out what it is that God's speaking into your heart that you need to remove a verbal placeholder from, and you need to actually take action. Maybe you need to give up and actually do what he's asking you to and get over the fear of the inherent cost because it will be worth it if you are able to. Will you pray with me, please?